The text that this sermon is based on is Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9, from the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged well wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. When I was reflecting on the scriptures preparing for today, they made me think of a thought I would often have as a young man, not a young man really, a little boy, when my parents would read the scriptures to me and then we'd read them together as I was learning to read. And usually, you know, we started with the, the first one, Genesis, Genesis 1, and we worked our way through. So I spent a lot of my young childhood in the Old Testament and there was this weird thing that would always happen in the Old Testament where God would talk directly to his people. He would speak with his own words, with his own voice to his people. And then they would go doubt him, do things that were contrary to what he told them with his own voice. Even sometimes doubt that he was there that he could be victorious, that he was victorious. It was, it was so strange. He would talk to them through them and often interact with them in undeniable ways. Yet at the same time, for some reason, which I simply could not comprehend as a six-year-old boy, an eight-year-old boy, a 15-year-old boy, a 25-year-old boy now, People would be spoken to directly by God, and yet still they'd turn against him. I mean, can you believe it? How many times in life do you wish that God would just make his will known to you with his own voice about some hard decision you're about to make or uh, clarity on what's happening in your life, why this is happening to me? Well, Isaiah, in this text, he got me imagining in Isaiah 25, imagining something like a thought experiment or something. What would it be like to be someone, a believer in his time? Or maybe even to be a prophet like him, to be Isaiah in those old times. You, you'd have this vast, interesting history behind you, the history of your people that you're constantly talking about, but it has all these strange, often morally questionable people in it doing things that are strange, 
but they're your ancestors, and you're constantly listening to your elders, and you're preaching sermons and worship, telling stories over and over again to the chosen people. And then on the other side of it all, you have the future. You have this, this prophecy that's coming through you from Yahweh, but it looks bleak. You see exile. You see suffering for you and your family. And soon you're going to be in the midst of the exile, right? The big bad one that we hear about a lot in adult Bible class or movies or what have you. God's telling you this in direct revelation that this is going to happen. Violent, dark, terrible stuff is going to happen. But remember, the whole time you're giving sermons The elders are telling you, remember Abraham. Abraham, who was faithful to this promise. Remember, we're the chosen people, right? Remember the promise. Abraham. Abraham, the same guy that laughed at God when God promised him a child, him and his wife a child. The same guy that did questionable acts with his handmaid to produce a son. And where was his promise now? Things then would often just turn terrible, especially with Isaiah. We know from church tradition, Jewish tradition, history, that Isaiah most likely was killed by his own king. The manner of death was pretty gruesome. It says, cut in half. The king persecuted the prophets. With all of this going on, a prophet of God, would, would he, would you, doubt your call? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what God had planned for me as his prophet as his leader of worship, to die at the hands of my own God-ordained king. I mean, yeah, God's talking to me and all. He's talking through me, not to mention he's been speaking to us, his chosen people, through the law and the histories and the prophets for thousands of years. Though we lament, unfortunately, this is simply the reality of human suffering. It's against all reason. Suffering manifests itself across all time to all people, right? An interesting guy that I'm a big fan of his music, simply because he's just so good at the banjo and the guitar, is a man named Jerry Garcia. Is anyone here familiar with Jerry Garcia? Any heads nodding? Any shakes? No, absolutely not. Uh, so some of you may not know him. Others, you may know him from like his tie designs but he led a jam band throughout the 60s through the 90s called The Grateful Dead. Now, he seemingly did it all, right? He had live albums, solo albums. He had documentary movies made about him. He was nearly technically perfect at the banjo and then later the guitar. His, his band, The Grateful Dead, they performed all around the world uh, every day of the week. Hundreds, well... Usually about 100,000 people would come see them perform. People were like leaving their jobs to follow the Grateful Dead. They were camping in the parking lots and eh, whatever. But then 
He dies at 53. Just, he dies. He was very, very overweight. He was diabetic. He was addicted to all sorts of drugs. And do you want to know the last thing that he said to his estranged daughter? She had asked him, Dad, I keep coming and trying to visit you, and I'm just, I'm watching this guy just fade away who's so gifted and talented, who has it all, and why do you live like this? And, you know, he, he thought for a second and took a deep breath, and he said, you know what? I live in a world without the Grateful Dead. All of that fun, all of the music, the parties, it, it became work. It just became toil, gruesome, cursed labor for Jerry Garcia. He felt like he had to go out on that stage each week and be the dancing monkey, the, the clown for everyone. He never just got to go chill out at a Grateful Dead concert. I mean, how often do we find ourselves living in a place like Jerry? How often does, say, Yadier Molina feel like he lives in a world without the Cardinals? He never gets to watch the Cardinals play. Did Mr. Rogers ever feel like he lived in a neighborhood without Mr. Rogers? How many of us have grown tired with our vocation in life? Has work even retirement become grueling? Is being a father, a grandfather, does it feel like it's more than you expected? Is being a Christian not as joyous as you thought? Maybe you feel like you live in a world without parents. You live in a world without wise mentor father figures, without trusted Christian friends, because you have to be that father figure, that mentor, that friend for everyone else all the time. Maybe you've even lost sight of your calling of why God has put you here, your vocation, what he has planned for you in his righteous will. This isn't all of that great stuff, that awesome feast that I heard about in Isaiah and Revelation and Matthew. It's just not fun anymore. Well, Ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is it. This is life, right? It's, it's difficult to bear that cross allotted to us all on our own. But the thing about suffering is that it hurts, right? It, it's lonely and everyone's going through their own thing right now. But what's also true about suffering is this is what believers have been doing for thousands of years. It's what Abraham did. It's what Isaiah did. It's guaranteed by the scriptures, by the prophets, Paul and Christ. This is called, in German, Anfechtung by Martin Luther. Just overwhelming anguish, suffering. It's, it's common to everybody, but especially Christians. But we do know that suffering passes through God's righteous hands. And so we're called to trust in him. So above all else, as Christians, we're given this vocation in some way to proclaim the gospel to all nations, right? Matthew 28. We are set apart to do this special task, to pro proclaim Christ. 
But there is someone out there that does not want you to do this. That being Satan, the adversary, right? He does not want you to fulfill that goal, your task of proclamation of the gospel, because he hates it. And so he's put a target on your back as a Christian. And so what I'm urging you today to do from the scriptures is to proclaim the gospel to the lost in spite of him. To love your family and read and pray the word of God with them in spite of the adversary. Hear the comfort and encouragement from God and from his own mouth in the scriptures daily. Receive strength to make it through the week and forgiveness of sins in the supper. Remember each morning, each evening, that your baptism is enough to wash away your sin. God now looks at you and loves you. So that, so much so that he came down to earth, he lived a perfect life and he died and then rose again. So that his perfect life can now live continually in you. In the gospel text today, we got a preview of that wedding feast of the Lamb that he's invited you all to, which uh, Isaiah saw first in the feast he writes about today in the Isaiah reading, which gave him the strength to believe and hold onto God's promise in it, even while he was being cut in half. Talk to your parents. Talk to your wife. Talk to your friends. Allow them to point you back to God's word and hold on to the means of grace like those precious gifts that they truly are. Because let's stop kidding ourselves. We know the ending. That ending that we read about in Isaiah, that we read about in the Matthew reading today, we get to see it a few times. God brings us there in his word so that to that marriage feast of the Lamb, we're on the mountain with the Lord of hosts, with all the nations, eating rich food, drinking well-aged wine, which we got to try a bit of at the parsonage from some kind member of the congregation. We're sucking the marrow out of the bones, in fact. And we, we turn and we look around and we wonder... Why isn't the host? Why, why isn't Jesus eating anything at this wonderful feast? I mean, come on, Jesus, you're making me feel bad again. You're lost in thought. I've been set apart for a different purpose. I'm called to some grandiose calling. You're maybe impatient with God and suffering, with the prevalence of death, though the scriptures talk a big game about Christ defeating death on the cross. And yet your family members, your loved ones, your friends, even your enemies, you're sad that they die. The suffering is killing you. But you snap back to reality because something terrifying is happening at this wedding feast. You look over because Jesus Christ is swallowing up death forever. Right in front of you. Luther actually describes Jesus as the pestilence of death eating it up like disease eats up the body. On that last day, Jesus, who defeated death forever, raises all who have ever died eternally for judgment. And we live eternally, truly death defeated forever. 
And you realize that this whole time, though you had faith, you have been crying. Even though you've been eating these wonderful foods and drinking these wonderful drinks your whole life, and now at the feast, you've been hearing the word, you've been receiving the sacraments, still, you're crying for some reason. And you know what? I think it's because you've been doing these things your whole life, what God has allowed, allotted for you to do. You've been doing it the whole time in pain, in suffering. And Jesus has just taken it away, finally. Finally, you are doing what you've been called eternally to do perfectly, your perfect vocation, your perfect job. The perfect vocation of living eternally, raised perfect with Christ crucified forever. Well done, good and faithful servant. And he'll, he'll wipe away the tears from your face. He'll wipe the tears away from your brothers and your mothers and your sister's face. All of that waiting, he's, we, we, we did it, he did it. He did it. He died on the cross and rose again and he raised us eternally. But why did he do it? Well, he tells us right at the end of chapter 25, verse 8, he says, because God said so. Because he said so. Simply because he promised. He loves each and every one of us. And so all you'll be able to do on that last day beholding all these things, as you will say, behold, this is our God. This is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is God, the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. Please stand for the offertory.